Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello! This is the Delicious Legacy Podcast. Welcome to another archaeogastronomical adventure. I'm your host, Thomas Dinas. On this episode, we are exploring an ingredient, a plant, or family, actually, of uh, plants that uh, became so essential to human survival. And uh, they exist uh, everywhere on the planet in different forms. As you might imagine, I often think about food. And of course, thinking about food uh, several times a day. And in my thoughts, um, many times um, there are beans. So I end up thinking about beans quite often. This is my Roman Empire. And that happens not only when I'm hungry, of course, but also when I think about, you know, about our world uh, problems, yeah? The environmental ones, the hunger crisis that ravage uh, the globe. Health issues, of course, uh, people eating too much meat, uh, obesity, this and that, and crisis after crisis after crisis, uh, everything that we face um, in our planet today. Naturally, the answer to all this seems to be beans, or legumes in general. They're a cheap source of food and protein, especially in the current cost of living crisis. They help the soil and the nutrients and the synthesized nitrogen uh, which is very expensive nowadays, especially with the wars happening in Ukraine and poor soils that are depleted of, of uh, nutrients. So yeah, there is so much potential out, out there for, for beans. And while I'm thinking about food in the podcast and all that, uh, this led me to wonder of uh, their history, the past, the bean influence in recipes and cookbooks of our uh, previous uh, generations and so on. And their role, naturally, in the lives of uh, ancient Greeks and Romans alike. And I would like to help um, with their perception in the eyes of uh, our modern population and make them cooler in a way and find some interesting aspects and perhaps impact some uh, inspiration on how to cook and serve them and add them to our diet, but with uh, the influences from the deep past. So enjoy today's episode on the history of beans. I would also like to add that um, a lot more current information about beans uh, you can find in um, BBC's The Food Programme. 
they released two episodes of Beans, Beans Part 1 and 2, on March 27th, 2022. So if you go and search for that episode, uh, there's two, two half an hour episodes, they're really good. Plus, uh, Gastropod, the podcast about food and history and science, uh, released an episode um, October past, October 2023, called Beans, Beans, the Magical Fruit. So that had a lot of interesting current information. Plus, there was an episode with uh, Sejal Sukhtawala on beans from the podcast called Smart Mouth, which was released in September 2023. So clearly, I'm not the only one who thinks about uh, beans, uh, and there's a lot of potential uh, about uh, this magical, um, <laughs> in a sense, um, uh, vegetable um, to solve a lot of our problems. So there are a lot of um, podcasts out there talking about beans. I'm not the only one, thankfully. So I suppose. Um, who can um, define the bean um, as um, loosely applied to any legume or seed or pod that's eaten and not classed as a pea or as a, or as a lentil. Beans traditionally were the genus Faseolus, but some of their species, including the black-eyed pea, are of the genus Vinia, and peas are in the genus Pisum. So all these different um, vegetables together, they are the legumes, but interchangeably and confusingly, we do tend to use the term bean to describe all of this. And yeah, they have a fascinating history, which I'm going to explore today. I hope you enjoy. As our societies become more affluent and uh, rich and um, sort of progress to a more (laughs) uh, sci-fi food future, our diets change, right? For the worse, if you ask me. So people forfeit the legumes and the vegetables of their peasant past, disparaging them as simple as mere foods of sustenance. And instead they embrace the processed, ultra-processed foods, ready-made meals and all the sugary treats. Yes, we're talking about beans today. A fascinating um, plant. And by beans, we just don't mean bean as the ones you get on uh, your Heinz um, beans for breakfast. We're talking about the whole family, legumes or pulses, or otherwise known as beans as well. And that includes uh, chickpeas, lentils, the runner beans from uh, North America and Mesoamerica. And these come as whole beans, they come as split beans, dals, we have bean curries, we have bean stews, lentils, chickpeas, split peas, split pulses, all sorts of different... um, names for them and um, their popularity is attested on the fact that we have many many traditional delicious and nutritious meals and dishes with um, beans from all over the world like we have the favada in Asturias in northern Spain we have full medames in Egypt we have the famous Boston baked beans uh, the gigantes uh, giant uh, butter beans from Prespes in Greece uh, baked in tomato sauce and onion uh, we have mashed peas we have peas pudding we have the cassoulet in France so there's a whole lot of fully hearty nutritious delicious meals that um, beans uh, create so yeah today I want to, to talk a little bit about them and praise them a little bit and find their history uh, through the ancient world in ancient Greece and um, in ancient Rome and uh, the history of pulses from America and so on. 
a lot of the white beans that we use today, like um, the gigades, the giant uh, butter beans in Greece, they are from America, or the um, runner beans, they are from uh, America as well. From uh, them, we used there as food, um, as part of the Three Sisters uh, method of uh, growing vegetables where you had your tomato plants, you had your peppers, you had your squashes, your corn, and by corn I mean maize, and you had also the runner bees growing and climbing on the stalks of the of the corn, and also they were replenishing the, the soil with nutrients, with um, nitrogen. The beans, in baked beans, are a variety called navy beans, which is part of the common beans, Faseolus vulgaris. The same and vital species that gives us our kidney beans and our cannellini beans and uh, French and black and pinto and haricot and flageolet and borlotti and marrow. All these beans, they are from the New World. They are native to Mesoamerica and North America and along with squash, as I said, and maize, they formed the Three Sisters system, which was uh, the basic agricultural um, production, food production of uh, Native American cultures. Of course, beans contain up to three times uh, the protein of rice or wheat, and making uh, this uh, staple of rice and beans a stalwart dish uh, for most uh, American and Caribbeans, and in a sense, almost a complete meal. And it is known that um, a number of indigenous American tribes, they seem to have been baked uh, their beans with bear fat and venison and maple syrup, and they were covering this ethernware pots with hot stones and we're cooking that in the ashes. So the ancient Greeks and Romans, they ate a lot of uh, lentils as soups and stews, which was a cheap and filling uh, meal, alongside with chickpeas, of course, and uh, black-eyed peas, which was another legume used in the ancient world. This uh, black-eyed pea has been cultivated in China and India as well and originates in Africa. So its reach is global, really. Beans in ancient Greece were eaten raw or boiled or roasted. You had lupins and uh, fava, which is um, part of the um, yellow split pea family, which we're going to talk about later. And these beans, all these all this, uh, different legumes in ancient Greece, were often eaten uh, among tragemata. It's kind of um, served at the end of the meal and um, with um, drinks and so on. Caesar, for example, in ancient Rome, the, the politician and historian and philosopher, became rich because um, his family had uh, farmed with chickpeas and hence uh, the name Cicero, like um, he was um, the man for the chickpeas. And of course we have um, the stories from ancient Greece uh, about Pythagoras and his irrational fear of uh, beans which are quite amusing, and I talked about on, um, in detail on the episode about um, vegetarianism and Pythagoras all the way back in season one. In Europe and Africa and um, Asia, as we said, um, there were the chickpeas and the lentils uh, that uh, the ancients ate in abundance, and also the black-eyed pea, which um, apparently the ancient Greeks and Romans uh, preferred to chickpeas. The black-eyed peas, the vinia unguiculata, are a variety of the cowpea, and they're part of the family of beans and peas, as we said, and they, although they're called a pea, they're actually a bean. 
So black-eyed peas, actually beans. So both peas and beans are legumes, as we said. And on both of them, you can eat the seeds and the pods, right? So the Romans gave the name of legumen to all edible seeds, which form in pods and can be eaten as a porridge or made into a puree. The noun derives from the verb lego, to collect or gather, and also to choose or select, to take. Pulse is from the Latin pulse, a porridge made of meal or similar substance. As for legumes, they are seeds which abound in more varieties than any other vegetables. So you have broad beans, peas, beans, and so on. Initially in Rome, in ancient Roman times, pulse was a thick porridge made of emmer, a very traditional Roman food, uh, and it was basic, as basic as the bread. And um, the making of it began with hulled emmer, and it was completed in many ways, sometimes incorporated meat, as we've seen examples in recipes of Apicius or cheese. There's the Pulse Punica, the, based on Cato and Pliny, a version of a, of a porridge. And then there's something different again, Pulse Fabaxia, a heavy mixture incorporating broad beans, which uh, was offered along with bacon to the goddess Karna every year on the calendar of June. The wild pea is restricted to, to the Mediterranean basin and the Near East, and the earliest archaeological finds of peas date from the late Neolithic era in the current area of Syria, Anatolia, Israel, Iraq, Jordan and Greece. In Egypt, early finds date from around 4800 BCE in the Nile Delta and from around 3800 BCE in Upper Egypt. The pea is also present in Georgia in the 5th millennium BC. Farther east, the finds are younger. Peas were present in Afghanistan uh, around 2000 BC, in uh, modern-day Pakistan, in the Harappan civilization, and western and northwestern India from around 2250 BC. And uh, in the second half of the second millennium BC, this legume crop appears in the Ganges Basin and southern India. And peas were grown mostly for the dry seeds, in early times at least. Something to keep and cook later on. As early as, as we said, from Neolithic times, when plants were growing wild in the Mediterranean basin, uh, constant selection improved their yield, right? And in the early 3rd century BC, so the time of Hellenistic, the Hellenistic world, Theophrastus, the naturalist, uh, mentions peas among the legumes that are sown late in the winter because of their tenderness. In the first century AD, Roman Empire and so on, Columella mentions them in uh, Dere Rustica. And when uh, Roman legionaries still gathered wild peas from the sandy soils of Numidia and Judea to supplement uh, the rations. In ancient Roman times, we know that uh, beans fetched a better price if they were skinned and split, because the bean, the bean it has edible skin, but uh, it's a bit tough, let's say. So they fetched a better price when they were uh, split, and um, they were ready to be boiled for a bean soup or ethnos. So bean meal also, in Greek, alevron eregminon, uh, was mixed with flour to increase the weight of soap-salt bread. Ethnos is the name of a pool's soup, and uh, specifically made from beans, unless it's been uh, clarified and specified differently. Oribasius discusses it and, in, and its medicinal uses in some detail. Oribasius was a, a Greek medicinal writer who was born on the, the 4th century AD and died around 400 AD. 
So all these pulses, peas and chickpeas and above all broad beans, were simmered to the point where they became very mushy. That was the traditional way of eating them all over the Mediterranean. References to faba and boiled kokia, which is the chickpeas and the broad beans, with or without oil, they became increasingly frequent in uh, the rules of monasteries now moving towards the Christian era and in the saints' uh, lives. Because they were a staple food for the monks um, who were fasting and living in monasteries and living a more simple life. And um, yeah, there was basically very important for the diet because there was not much meat, there was a lot of fasting and so on. So they generally served them with uh, green uh, and black olives and pickled cabbage. So kind of uh, the triptych, the holy trinity of, <laughs> of a monastic diet was uh, the olives, the pickles, pickled cabbage mainly, and uh, the beans, or any kind of pulses basically, lentils, chickpeas, peas, broad beans. So many ascetics lived on soaked, dried, broad beans alone, apparently. And fava, which is the simplest preparation in Greek gastronomy, is something with a constant presence uh, since um, ancient Neolithic times, really. We find um, evidence of that. So fava in Greece, whether made with broad beans or chickpeas or peas, a variety called uh, Lathyrus Clemenu from Sandorini, is a tradition dating back to prehistoric times right? and continues to this day by making the pottage or pureed legumes. And the first evidence of faba being found in excavations in Knossos in Crete and uh, in Thera in Sandorini. So we've seen um, the monk Arpaius um, Christian getting his bean soup made by an angel and tasting great. Um, in uh, medieval monasteries around Europe, aside from bread, the single most commonly eaten food was uh, probably the bean. Broad beans have been uh, cultivated for millennia in the Middle East. They are still a staple source of protein in Egypt, for example, as full metamess. And uh, this is the place where monastic Christianity grew and spread across uh, Europe and the Middle East. So in some medieval cultures, a link between the broad bean and the afterlife persisted, and perhaps is a remnant of the ancient Pythagorean ideas that the soul migrated after death into beans. A 16th century Italian church council prohibited the relatives of the deceased from handing out beans to bystanders in church at funerals. Also in monastic sources, there's a mention of lentils, chickpeas and red beans, all of which were treated in the same way, either boiled and dressed with oil, as we've seen again from Byzantium, or stewed with fresh vegetables such as onions and herbs. The type of pulse would depend on the region that the monastery was, but beans, lentils and peas were grown, as we've said, all over Europe. After 1000 AD, productive cultivation of beans increased significantly as a result of new agricultural developments. In particular, the invention of the deep share plough enabled a great depth of soil to be dug, which in turn allowed for greater productivity. In Byzantium, pulses reached a high level of sophistication. Uh, these staple food were carefully spiced and had an astonishing array of flavors. Some of the most uh, popular ones, popular beans and legumes consumed was the Lathyrus ochrus, Afkos, the chickpea called Erebinthos, the graspi, Lathyris, the faba, broad bean, 
The Fasulia, The Black Eyed Peas, and Telly's The Fenugreek Seed, which is not very well known or consumed nowadays, to be honest, probably as a fodder for, for animals. So Simeon Seth, which was a Byzantine uh, scientist, translator, and an official under the Emperor Michael VII Lucas, around the 11th century AD, he was writing about this stuff, and he recommends a soup of uh, black chickpeas, turnips, celery, seasoned with almond oil, for anyone afflicted with uh, renal and urinary problems. In other texts, we read about the grass pea and the Lathyrus ochrus, uh, another one of the beans, and we read that um, they can be seasoned with olive oil and ground cumin. Broad beans might be boiled, then tossed in salt, and then the best green olive oil. I would guess something like uh, an extra virgin or early harvest olive oil. Also, we find out about black-eyed peas. They were boiled with pepper or mustard or oregano or caraway and served with um, olive oil and vinegar or with honey vinegar. Fenugreek seed was recommended by Byzantine dietitians in at least three forms, as a soup, as a dried bean, steeped, sweetened and sprouted, eaten as a starter with a variety of dressings, or well-boiled, cold, flavored with honey, spikenard and cinnamon. And apparently, in this form, the last one, fenugreek was ideal as a component of the March menu. Remember, they had um, very interesting ideas about diet and about the humoral theory, how that complements diet and um, what foods can be eaten depending on your um, humoral makeup. In October, among pulses, avoid broad bean, lentil and grass pea. Eat the others, it was one of the advice. It's not surprising that the broad beans that are recommended for March are dried and therefore have to be soaked and boiled well before being tossed in salt and the best green olive oil. That's something that um, obviously all uh, beans that we use now, all the dry beans have to be soaked in water for eight hours at least or overnight to become easy to boil. Epiphanius used to spend the first week of Holy Lent without food and drink. One Lent, before the celebration of the Divine Liturgy, having spent the week fasting, he was in his room cooking beans on the brazier, which had been fed with charcoal for the sake of heating, because of the chilly weather, not letting any of his servants touch them. As he was sitting there, leaning towards the heat and cooking the beans, the sounding board was struck for the prayer. He stood up and went to church without ordering anybody to look after the cooking. But the accursed demon fell on the young man with thoughts of defection, using the care of the cooking as pretext to drive him out of the church before the dismissal. Go out and make sure that your beans are not being burned, producing a foul smell. He crossed himself and remained standing until the dismissal. When he returned home, he found everybody astonished at the most sweet smell spreading there. Coming nearer, Epiphanius too, felt the incredible sweet smell and was astounded at the marvel. When he entered his room, where the brazier stood, filled with charcoal, and lifted up his eyes, he saw a beautiful young man of wonderful stature dressed in a divine robe, his face shining brighter than the sun. And this young man 
had his right arm uncovered and stood busying himself at the brazier, having blood hair on his head like gold in appearance. While Epiphanius stood speechless, amazed at the sight of him, the pleasant cook tasted the soup, as if it to check whether it was ready. Then, withdrawing a small bag from the fold of his garment, he took seasoning with three fingers and put it crosswise into the pot, whereupon he covered his bare arm again with the sleeve of his cloak. While he gazed at Epiphanius with a smile on his face, he suddenly spread wings, lifted himself from the ground and disappeared towards heaven. Having given thanks to God, Epiphanius went to see what the man had made of the soup. He found that it surely emitted the sweet smell, a smell of a kind that one cannot reckon among the fragrances of earth. Marveling greatly at the wonder, he thanked the Lord, and with this prayer he began to eat the bean soup, and was filled with an immense sweetness. All his senses were at once transformed into a state of divine inspiration. And this is, uh, and this is the bean soup of the angels that uh, I mentioned earlier, the, the, the text, where... Um, you know, it has one of the very few descriptions of cooking process in Byzantium. This uh, description contains information about cooking pots, the charcoal fires that heat the cold house in the winter, and the hand of an angel above the cauldron, which is which uh, seasoned and stirred and gave divine flavor to the vegetarian dish of a noble Christian. I'll be back after this short break. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The dish of pulses with chopped walnuts or nutmeg mentioned in uh, the monastic um, Tipica 
the writings from the rules from monasteries, maybe the one described in this Middle Byzantine text of the 8th to 10th century. But in this case, it is more probable that it was grated nutmeg and not chopped walnuts that they were added to the dish, prepared with or without olive oil. The mention or of Asulon in this, which means mountain or wild bean, it is uh, more likely to be the well-known Ambelofasulo or Mavromatico, which is the black-eyed pea. And now let's see some uh, humoral properties of the beans. As we talked about uh, humoral theory, the humors and uh, the diet in uh, medieval um, Europe and Byzantine world. So the broad beans have a high proportion of coldness, apparently, and cause gas and wind in the bowels and heaviness in the head. Boiled with vinegar, they inhibit movement of the bowels. Eaten green, they add moistness to the constitution. Chickpeas have a high proportion of heat, and they too cause gas in the bowels. They bring on menstruation, increase the urine, and encourage sexual intercourse. Water from boiling chickpeas is good for those with kidney stones. If the chickpeas are roasted, and it's the same with beans, they stop bowel movements and are more nutritious. When eaten fresh, they add moisture to the constitution. Lupins are indigestible and produce thick humors. Fenugreek seed, steeped in water, sweetened and sprouted, moves the bowels. This is the case whether the seed is eaten with fish sauce or vinegar and fish sauce or wine and fish sauce and olive oil. Eaten with fish sauce alone, it causes headache, but with wine and fish sauce and olive oil, it does not. It depends on the amount of wine, I say, but never mind. The water from cooking fenugreek Boiled and taken with honey dislodges unhealthy humors in the stomach. It is good for the bowels. Lentils are cold and dry. They dry and cool the constitution and produce excess black bile. They also cause weak vision. Lupins are hot and dry. They are indigestible and bring on menstruation. But if sweetened in hot water, they are lighter food and not so indigestible. The husk is astringent. Black eye peas are hot and moist in temperament. They produce wind in the bowels, move the bowels, bring on menstruation, increase the urine, cause nocturnal emission. Some people steep black-eyed peas or lathyrus okra seeds till they sprout and eat them as a starter, dipped in fissos. This is to move the bowels. The water from boiling black-eyed peas is nourishing when well-boiled. And this is some of the food um, and diet instruction given about beans and pulses in general and how they fit into the diet of a Christian along with the seasons and the humoral theories and the humoral constitution and how they can slot in into the seasons. It's kind of astonishing, isn't it, that um, with so much uh, baked beans, especially in cans from a specific um, brand, and yet there's so many different varieties, thousands upon thousands of beans, and yet, we don't grow much uh, in the UK, really. It's kind of um, puzzling, to be honest. And I find these tiny baked beans in cans really boring, uh, with no flavor, just sweetness and sugar. Subsequently, I found that in Norwich, local farmers are growing huge amounts of fava beans, but uh, all these are, are being exported in the Middle East. Or they've been sold as animal feed. But this fava bean, so-called broad bean, is one of the oldest cultivated crops in the UK. And uh, we were all eating it as far as back in uh, as the Iron Age. Uh, it's been a crucial part of the 
British diet for centuries. In more recent times, it became stigmatized as a food of the poor and fell out of fashion. These beans remained an important part of uh, the British diet, particularly the peasant diet, throughout the medieval period, as this protein-rich food could be stored and eaten all year round. And uh, like dried peas, beans were commonly eaten as porridge or made into bread. Not so long ago, a few years back, um, I've learned of a traditional um, northern dish from my wife, which I've never heard before, uh, from Lancashire. And this is called parched peas, or black peas. It seemed that it was a dish that she used to eat um, on a bonfire night as a snack in the cold, rainy, generally chilly evenings of a bonfire on the 5th of November. They seem to have this um, little snack in conical paper cups uh, with hot um, peas, either mushy or whole and um, crunchy, with uh, lashings of vinegar and salt, which I found very interesting. So this is from the Pisum sativum uh, genus, and uh, they're cooked um, peas, basically, and parched. Um, it's uh, an old term, basically, for long, slow boiling. And they're served uh, traditionally in Lancashire, and with uh, lots of uh, malt vinegar. The taste is very earthy, and uh, they're seasoned with vinegar and salt. So this dish is popular in Berry, in Preston, Rochdale, Oldham, Wigan, Bolton, Atherton, Haywood, Lee, and so on. The peas are usually field peas, left dry on the plant, and distinct from garden peas, which are green. And um, it seems like um, it was generally sold in the markets of industrial towns, oral traditions state that this uh, has been the case for as long as anybody remembers. And um, that this is very well known locally, but otherwise unknown outside the area, especially in uh, southern Britain. And depending where you're from, in Lancashire, of course, they are certainly soaked for 24 hours and then they're cooked uh, and different people prefer it um, differently, too mushy or whole or or anything in between, really. And in some places they're eaten cold as a snack or in other places warm. Another legume dish that um, is associated with uh, the North East England is peas pudding and um, basically also is associated with um, Lent and fasting in general. And probably, most likely, peas pudding developed from the old potages of dried peas which were a national dish in England during the 16th and 17th centuries, known in French recipe books as potage in the English style. The popularity declined during the 18th century, and the pudding itself gradually became regionalized to the northeast, because it was an accompaniment for salted pork, generally, as in peas pudding and boiled bacon. There are medieval instructions for... Um, the identical combination. So these yellow split peas are soaked and cooked in water until they disintegrate into a puree, just like us with fava really, and then they're seasoned to taste, usually just with salt and put and then poured into a bowl and left to cool. Alternatively, salt stock from cooking bacon can be used to cook the peas and then um, it can be seasoned and enriched with butter and egg as desired and then reheated. And I think that's going to be much more tastier and appealing um, uh, side dish, right? So yeah, this is two of the um, recipes 
from England I found about policies that they seem to be traditional and historically accurate going on for centuries. The most famous um, giant beans, giant butter beans in Greece, they are from Prespes. These frontier lakes of big and small Prespa, they're up in the north northwest of Greece, near the borders with Albania and North Macedonia. They are part of a mystical and magical landscape of Greece and uh, the, the general area. A Greece that you cannot really imagine. It's not the image that conjures up into our brains when we think of Greece. Archaeological data show that the people have lived in Prespa Valley for over 4,000 uh, years. Documented human presence does not emerge until the 2nd century BCE. Inscriptions found on the island of Agios Achilles, in one of the lakes, dates to the Hellenistic era and refers to Julius Crispus and the independent city of Lyca. In classical times, the Prespa region formed part of the ancient Lincus, and the lakes were called Little and Great Brigis, so the best Greek beans come from this area, from the wetlands of Prespas. They are awarded a PGI, so a protected geographical indication status, and I guess the unique flavor originates from the nutrient-rich soil and the unique microclimate of the area. And in my hometown of Area, which is North Greece, again, um, in many ways it's not far away from Prespes, but um, yeah, given the landscape, the mountainous landscape, and the way the geography works in North Greece, it's not you can't you don't consider it closed either. It's not a close uh, close up area. But um, yeah, in my hometown we eat a lot of beans, a lot of giant beans, and we are famous for the baked giant oven baked giant beans, uh, slow cooked. Um, usually in the uh, baker's oven after they finished uh, with the bread. It's a small town, agricultural, um, growing up with our grandmas, who were very religious, but also very traditional. The food to have on a Wednesday or a Friday was giant baked beans in the oven. Vegetarian, plus it was a Lent food. And it was also delicious. The grandmas uh, knew how to cook it uh, properly. And uh, this uh, fasulo davas, as we call it in Veria, uh, aka bean tavas or bean stew, bean oven stew, is a thing that um, all variants, or at least the old ladies, used to do and did it very well. Very popular in the whole of uh, Macedonia, North Greece, but also very, very uh, well known in Veria specifically. Perfect for a cold uh, winter's day with uh, some nice. Uh, village bread. The dish relies, of course, in soaking the beans overnight. So grandma, our yaya, would put in a saucepan the beans, cold water, soak them for 12 hours, and then the next morning she would start the process by draining that water, rinsing them, putting them in clean water, and boiling the beans for an hour, an hour and a half, adding onion, grated onion, lots of olive oil, maybe a cup of extra virgin olive oil, fresh grated tomato or tomato juice or tomato puree and in the oven bake it for half an hour or so until it has a nice crust on top. So beans and pulses in general, they are part not only of my upbringing but of my everyday life now as well. The giant butter beans we eat in Greece and generally all the butter beans, they're from a, an American variety called lima bean, which is um, found in uh, Mezzo and South America. 
and it seems it has taken domestication in Andes around 2000 BCE and around Mesoamerica around 800 AD. And from these varieties, these varieties came to Europe, obviously after the Colombian exchange. And there are these really tasty nutritious beans that have high fiber content that prevents blood sugar levels from rising too rapidly after eating them. Yeah, they're really, really good, providing with steady, slow-burning energy to the human body. I love talking about all these uh, unique products from small areas with um, very special microclimate and so on. So I'm going to tell you about uh, the lentils of Enkluvi, which is an area in Lefkada, in the island of Lefkada, in the Ionian Greek islands. So... This village of Enkluvi is at a 730 meters altitude and is the highest village of Lefkada and one of the oldest in the island. It's located very centrally and it means, as the name suggests, surrounded or trapped in the mountains. In the altitude in a plateau of 900 meters, the hard-working inhabitants from generation to generation grow crops of lentils. These lentils lentils of Engluvi, they are known for its unique taste and nutritional value. Every year on the 6th of August, the village and the lentil farmers celebrate the local product, the valuable lentils treasure that is cooked and served to the visitors of the plateau. So this plateau is also listed in the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations as one of the five protected areas of, for unique aesthetic, natural and cultural beauty in Greece. As it is, these lentils are a worldwide unique product and for its, uh, for its uniqueness has excelled in many exhibitions. And these are included in the National Index of Intangible Cultural Heritage of Greece under the UNESCO banner. The cultivation of um, this variety on that place it seems to go back in time immemorial. They grow in the same way from generation to generation and without using any kind of chemical fertilizers and pesticides. The work is tedious and the yield of the crop depends entirely on the weather and therefore the value proportional to its cost is increased depending on that. It's 100% natural, organic and um, superior product from the area. And these lentils are cooked according to the traditional recipe and stands out for its unique flavor and texture. It's easily boiled completely free of any chemicals and of obviously ideal for all ages. And um, I'll put some links on the episode um, transcript for you to find out more. Now, fava, one of the most famous Greek um, pulses products, especially the one from Sadorini, it's something um, we commonly translate in English as yellow split pea, and it's a yellow split pea puree that we call fava. But this is... Um, this comes from two different uh, plants. One is called Lathyrus sativus, and another one which is a, a, a species of pea, uh, Pisum sativum. And it's a plant which is very difficult to grow. I mean, not difficult per se, but it has um, unique ways and very um, uh, manual work to be done. And uh, it needs um, certain um, weather to grow properly. For example, if there are wet uh, southern winds, then the production is very, very small. Generally, the most delicious fava producers are from um, places that they have uh, volcanic soil. And um, again, fava is another excellent source of protein, which is 
something that obviously it made it even more um, interesting to Europeans, Northern Europeans, especially the last few years, um, because there is more interest in uh, consuming less meat as a society, uh, especially red meat and especially meat from uh, industrial farming, which is harmful to the planet in many ways and to our health as well. And um, yeah, as we said, all the pulses, all the beans and and um, bean and peas are excellent source of protein. So places like, uh, as we said, Sandorini is the most famous one. But there's also fava from Skiros, from the island of Skiros, from Lemnos, and from Zakynthos or Zante, which is in the Ionian side. And in a place in Peloponnese, again in a plateau, in, a, uh, in an old dry lake called Feneos. So in Feneos, uh, fava is also very famous. So specifically the Sandorini fava, is um, very famous, the most famous Greek one, and it has a history of over 3,000 years from uh, analysis of DNA of seeds that they were found in the excavation of Ophacrotiri, the ancient Sandorinian city buried under the volcanic eruption of Thera. So this fava is, made, is from Lathyrus, the Lathyrus Climenum, which is, um, has unique characteristics due to the volcanic soil of the, of the island and also the cycladic climate. It has a unique sweetness in the aftertaste. And when you cook it, you don't need to stir it at all. It, you just cook it slowly, shortly, and uh, it has a delicious flavor when it uh, becomes that puree, that nice mush. Up to this day, especially in these small islands, the cultivation and the um, gathering of the fava happens with hands, there's no machinery. And that's because the islands, the plots, the land is small anyway, you cannot have uh, machinery. And um, the whole cultivation is among rocks and rocky soils and uh, slopes and so on. So there's no way to put a tractor there. The collection of the seed happens early in the morning with a when the morning dew softens the, um, the plant and everything happens by hand, like the collection, the, the breaking of the seed for the split pea. So everything, everything is um, manual. Talking about different beans and pulses, we saw chickpeas, we saw lentils, we saw the beans from uh, Americas and peas and black-eyed beans. There's another one called lupin, uh, which is not very well known in modern Western northern European tradition. Uh, that's another legume um, which is traditionally eaten as a snack food and pickled food uh, generally around the Mediterranean. The most ancient evidence of that is uh, back uh, on the 12th dynasty of uh, the Egyptian pharaohs and um, they found it in tombs basically. And lupin is commonly used in Egypt today and is eaten by the Egyptians as a snack. Lupini were used uh, by the Romans according to, to Wikipedia, who spread the, their cultivation throughout the Roman Empire. And um, they're also eaten in Greece as well. I've heard of them and I've seen them in a few places. Um, and I don't know if that's also influenced from uh, the Middle East and the Ottoman Empire, or it's been independently part of Greek tradition since the Roman times or so. Of course, as it's uh, common with many foods um, that our ancestors ate, um, grew basically to to become edible. Basically, there is a bitter variety that are high in alkaloids, so extremely bitter, bitter unless they're rinse, rinsed uh, methodically. So cultivars happened over years and um, mutations 
called sweet lupins um, are in existence and grew by our ancestors over many, many generations. And commonly there is um, also an Andean American variety which was domesticated by pre-Incan inhabitants of the present-day Peru, which is again interesting. We see beans and the different types of beans have been they have a worldwide spread. Now, who doesn't know cassoulet, the famous French dish? This is so important uh, to French people that there is even an, an academy of uh, cassoulet, and um, this comes in three variations. The cassoulet of uh, Castelnaudary, which is the father, the cassoulet of Carcassonne, the son, and the Toulouse cassoulet, the Holy Spirit. Of course, one of the essential points is the long cooking in a low oven, breaking the crust several times. Some people even say that you have to break it seven times to have an excellent cassoulet. And generally you have beans, confit, pork loin, onions, bouquet garni, seasonings. That's the main ingredients for, for every cassoulet. There are variations, of course. So in the Toulouse cassoulet you have lamb and mutton, then at the end of the cooking you put sausage and duck confit. And uh, the cassoulet creation myth goes back all the way to the Hundred Year War. It's the year 1355, and the inhabitants of Castle Nodery are under siege from the English. Edward, the Black Prince, simply ransacked town after town on his way from Bordeaux to the Mediterranean coast, probably taking most of the food with him. So the people of Castle Nodery pulled their remaining food, the little morsels of stuff each one had, a bit of duck someone, a bit of geese, some sausages maybe, some pork tortoise, in order to cook up a dish, a hearty dish, that their men will be powered from, and they will be able to push back these northern hordes back to the channel. Lovely as a myth, <laughs> certainly a fiction, because no such siege ever occurred. More importantly, Gauls were always famous for eating pork, and of course Jews with lentils and peas and beans, uh, centuries before England came into existence. There is, um, there is an element of truth, perhaps, uh, if we suggest a, a link to the extremely sophisticated 13th century recipe collections from uh, the Arab world, uh, attributed to Mohammed of Baghdad, whose spiced mutton stews and legumes may have influenced medieval French cooks. And this is because, obviously, there was the Kingdom of Andalusia and all the Moorish, uh, Spanish, uh, Arabs into direct contact with the French and uh, with trade and all the stuff that we explored in previous episodes. However, the main element of cassoulet, which are the little white beans, they must have appeared after the 16th century because, obviously, beans, these white beans arrived after the Columbus exchange, after Columbus went to the New World. And the sanctity of cassoulet is taken so seriously in France, there is even a brotherhood, the Grand Confier de Cassoulet, that defends the glory and quality of cassoulet in Castle Nodary, and uh, in part by conducting surprise taste tests of cassoulets offered by local chefs. And there is also an Academy Universelle de Cassoulet, whose members promote the cassoulet and its significant cultural heritage. Amazing, isn't it? I'll put a link on the episode uh, notes about uh, the Académie du Cachelet, so you can find out more about it. I love stories with beans, you know. Uh, now, we all heard when something is described as a fiasco, something that it was a complete failure. And that's a very interesting, interesting thing. I'm not sure how that's related to the most perfect uh, dish of uh, Tuscan feast, uh, which is fascioli al fiasco, which is basically beans cooked in a flask. 
basically fiasco is a, a task and world for flask and basically this um, this dish which is generally considered a side dish of the Tuscan cuisine. And also the Tuscans eat a lot of beans anyway. They're known as uh, the bean eaters. They have this uh, highly traditional and very Tuscan dish, fasciolial fiasco, beans in a flask. And um, it seems to be a culinary delight that comes from peasant and farming traditions. And it's supposed to be, firstly, farmers, they used to cook their beans with this unique method that saw them place a glass bottle with beans in a corner of the fireplace on a hot, ashy embers before going to bed so that they would have freshly cooked beans to wake up in the morning. So I'm not sure if that fiasco <laughs> comes to represent an exploding uh, glass vessel, perhaps, if you did it wrongly. But um, certainly the fasciolial fiasco is a delicious traditional Tuscan uh, bean recipe. And there are, I presume, many easier ways to cook it nowadays than placing a glass flask on hot ashes. For this um, recipe, you need cannellini beans, you need extra virgin olive oil, lots of garlic, some sage, salt and pepper. And um, obviously, if you make it uh, by tradition, you need a, a, a glass jar. <laughs> so you soak the beans overnight. And these are white beans. Again, they come from the New World. So traditionally, perhaps before the Colombian era, that would have been uh, made with broad beans or chickpeas, or something similar anyway, black-eyed peas. So yeah, you soak the beans overnight in cold water, you drain the water from the peas next day, you place them in the vessel with oil, garlic and sage, and cover with water, add salt pepper to taste, and then uh, you cook it slowly in an oven, and um, that will vary in time. It can take a few hours, depends if you had hot, hot ashes or something like that, or if it's in the oven gas oven and so on. But when it's done, uh, you want to separate the liquid from uh, the beans and put them in different bowls. Wet the beans with a little drizzle of the cooking water and season again, if you need, and drizzle with olive oil and a dash of salt on top and serve uh, as they are with uh, some crusty bread. And this is how supposed to be eaten, this comfort Tuscany food. Thanks for listening. I've been Thomas Dinas. And this was the Delicious Legacy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, why not uh, become a patron? And uh, from $3 a month, you can get all the episodes ad-free, released early, and of course have uh, access to extra content for Patreon backers only. Alternatively, you can rate us and leave a review and subscribe and follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you get your podcast from. Thank you. See you again next week with uh, many more archaeogastronomical adventures. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.